0: chapter 12 verse 10 of the book of Genesis first book of the Bible now there was a famine in the land and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe and he was about to enter Egypt he said to his wife Sarai I know what a beautiful woman you are when the Egyptians see you they will say this is his wife then they will kill me but will let you live say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abraham came to Egypt, he his donkeys, men servants, and maid servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abraham. What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say, she is my sister, so that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had and Lot went with him. Abram, had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from palace to palace until he came to Bethel, excuse me, from place to place, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. I feel like it's getting darker and darker in here. There we go. There Abraham called, this is why I couldn't read properly. There Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together. For their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarrelling arose between Abraham's herdsmen and herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abraham said to Lot, Let's not have any quarrelling between you and me, or between your herdsmen and mine for we are brothers. It's not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt towards Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of Jordan and set out toward the east. Two men parted company. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain, and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abraham after Lot had parted from him, Lift up your eyes from where you are, and look north and south, east and west, All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abraham moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mumre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. I wonder how easy you would find it to do what Abraham was called to do. Remember last week, we read it at the start of our service. The call came to Abraham and to his wife and his extended family. That's a couple of hundred people. I want you to go. I want you to leave everything that's comfortable to you. I want you to leave your uh, earthly foundation that you've been living upon. I want you to leave uh, what's familiar to you. I want you to leave your forward planning. I want you to leave familiar faces and accents. I want you to leave uh, the place where you normally lay your head and I want you to trust me and I'll tell you later where you're going. I wonder how easy you would find that. I find that very difficult. We thought last week every Christian is a called person. Every man, woman, boy or girl that trusts in Jesus Christ is a called person. God's call comes upon your life and you are called to get out and to trust Christ and to attempt great things for him. And to go further than the last generation did. And to make much of him and enjoy the promises of God and the gospel. I want you to leave everything and I want you to go to the land of Cana. And I want you to settle there because that's where I'll be, says God. And I'll be with you every step of the way. But look down at verses 14 to 17 of chapter 12 that we read. Uh, 12 times in chapters 12 to 25, the call of God comes in a bunch of different ways. You get more and more detail, 12 times. But in verses 14 to 17, this call comes again of chapter 12. And it says, I I want you to go out. I want you to go to this land and I'll provide for you. Sometimes in these 12 places from chapters 12 to 25, there's an emphasis on, on what Abraham must do. You're to do this. Take what's precious to you and go. Go to this place. Hear my voice and obey it. Sometimes the focus is on Abraham. It's on obedience. Sometimes it's on God and his provision. There's those two kind of emphasis throughout these chapters and the life and times of Abraham, the gospel according to Abraham. And, and it's, it's the same to us, isn't it? Sometimes that the call of God uh, comes upon us and it reminds us who we are called to be. It's a a reminder of the status that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes it's for us a point of obedience. This is what I want you to do because of who I've made you. Respond to the uh, initiative that's been shown to you in Christ. And I want you to live in a different way or do a different thing. And uh, this morning we meet a new character called Lot. We meet someone we've met before called Abraham. We meet someone altogether lovely called Jesus. But I want us to think about, first of all, Lot. This new character who comes on the scene, Lot, Lot in the garden, Lot in the garden. That's our first thing to think about. Look at verse five now in uh, chapter 13. Now, Lot, who was moving about with Abraham, uh, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together. for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abraham's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. Now, Lot, Lot was Abraham's nephew. And Lot was with Abraham and they were journeying together. Now, there's a thing you may have noticed that that is, as we read the passage, there's more and more stuff being accumulated, herds, men, servants, cattle, gold, silver. And when you are a nomadic sort of person, you don't change in one bank for a, a pep or an ISA. You don't change in a bank manager for an independent financial advisor. When you get more stuff, there are organisational challenges that accrue. You don't get a bigger wallet, you get a bigger herd. You don't get a, a bigger house, you get a bigger household. That's what the Bible is explaining, that God is blessing them. And when nomadic people get wealthy, you get organisational challenges. You need to think smart. And that's what's behind these verses, verse 5 and 6 and 7. You've you got Abraham and Lot and they're facing in a managerial sense these logistical challenges, and they're facing them head on, that they can't ring up the army, can you help us, we've run out of HGV drivers, but uh, he's saying, look, this is what's happening, it says uh, Moses, that he writes down these sentences in the book of Genesis, and they are beginning to grow in their financial size and capacity, and with them, so are the tribes and the herds, it's not just their bank balance, it's bigger than that, and the challenges are significant, look at verse 6, This uh, financial growth is so severe that they they need to make some hard decisions. I mean, God said, go and settle in the land of Canaan. And now a big decision needs to be be made. Will they trust God? Will they remain in the land of God and trust in the promises of God based on the son of God? Or will they take matters into their own hands? It's this big decision that needs to be made. And as we read, Abraham makes this remarkable decision to say, well, I'm going to put my right second and I'm going to put your needs first. Uh, lot, the balls in your cot. course you choose. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If, I, if you go to the left, I'll go to the right and so on. And, and this place, the geography is important. They're down in verse three. We read of it in verse six again. This place where they stand is a high point between Bethel and Ai. So it's a high point where where the, uh, the change in elevation is severe. So within 20 miles that you could see on a clear day, with a naked eye, there's a descent of 3,000 feet. And so you've got this vast uh, landscape before you where Canaan was a kind of an arid place, a desert land to some degree. And you've got Abraham trusting the promises of God with Lot and this big decision that needs to be made. And they're standing on a high point and they're saying, Abraham to Lot, you choose. My right second, I'll put to myself second, I'm gonna put you first. And uh, Lot looked with his eyes down this valley. And he says something very, very significant because he sees it's green and it's fertile. Look down to verse 10. He lifts up his eyes and the text literally says he saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered. It's fertile. It's a place where you could go and you could make your herd into a greater herd. You could go and make a big buck there because there was water in plentiful supply. But what's being revealed the way the language is written in the original language is very important is what's going on in his heart. It reveals the ambitious nature of Lot in his spirit. I mean, there's something going on the way verse 10 is written that the cost of following God is too great for Lot and he wants to take things into his own hands. Abraham, the call came, I want you to leave everything. And I want you to trust me. I want you to go out and I'll tell you later. But for Lot, that was too much. And so Lot chooses a couple of things. Lot chooses financial growth ahead of his relationship with Abraham. And also he chooses financial growth ahead of his relationship with God. Now we need to stop and just camp out in verse 10 for a moment. The Bible says there's nothing wrong with making money from wonderful ambitious businesswomen and businessmen that give generously to the cause of the gospel so there's nothing wrong with making money there's nothing wrong with being ambitious and wise with resources the Bible's very clear on that but look at verse 10 again it's not a description written by the narrator this is just what Lot did the way it's written is actually what's being described is what's happening internally in his motivational structure he's looking at something and there is a longing that can be met It says, Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered. Here's the key phrase. It was just like the garden of the Lord. It was just like Eden. It was just like that wonderful created world in the garden of Eden that God spoke into being. And there was intimacy between man and woman and the face of God. They enjoyed the relationship that they were made for. And Lot looks and says, that's where I want to go. That's where I want to go, because through that, it's as if I can get back to the garden. It's as if I can get back to the garden. He didn't just have his, uh, it wasn't just his wallet. He thought, that's a great sound investment, Abraham. You can sort yourself out. I'm going there, and that's where I make a buck. You can sort yourself out, Jack. He wasn't just saying money. I'm just going to make a really shrewd uh, real estate or a, a house purchase. He wasn't saying that. He was saying, I can go there, and I can fulfill the desires of my heart, for me, through that, it would just be like me going back to the garden of the Lord. Something spiritual going on, not just financial. Very important to see. A few months back, uh, Jill and I watched a film called Molly's Game. It tells the story of Molly Bloom. She's a remarkable athlete. She had a very privileged upbringing. It's a book that's been made into a film. Starring Jessica Chastain and also Kevin Costner as her father. But the film starts out at Trials for the Olympics. And there she is skiing down really steep slope. And a freak accident happens. One in a, one in a billion accidents happen. Where a, a small piece of fern gets caught in her binding. The binding unpops and she has a terrible accident. And that's her Olympic dream in Shatter. So her life goes from the hopes and dreams of being an Olympian... So very quickly, her finding herself evicted and down on her luck. She's a smart lady who has the world at her feet, or on her skis, you could say. But she had to make a buck. So what was she to do? Well, Molly Bloom decided to start a poker game. And she started to run a poker suite, a poker game for the rich and the famous. And she made millions and millions of dollars. She got into lots and lots of trouble with some shady characters throughout the book and the film. There is a very, very moving scene towards the end of the film where she's speaking with her father, Kevin Costner, on a bench in a park. Her father's a counselor and he says, This, we're going to do three years of therapy in three minutes, but you've got to ask the questions and I'll give you the straight answers. Well, let's start with this, says so the dad, Kevin Costner. Why do you, a beautiful, attractive, intelligent young woman who at 22 has a gold-plated resume, why does she end up running a high-stakes poker game? Well, I did it to make money. That's not really a head-scratcher, is it, Dad? You could have been a successor, anything you wanted, and you know it. If you'd gone to law school, you could have been a partner by now. Why this? Here's the first minute. You were addicted to having power over powerful men. That's the first year of counselling in one minute. The second minute, they explore her relationship with him as a father. I was a failure as a dad, but I loved you, he said. But the last question, he says to her, with a long pause, you need to ask the last question yourself. It needs to come from you. Tears are running down her face. Mol asks the question, why don't you love me as much as my brothers? Really moving. Hair's hey, in the back of my head now. Why didn't you love me as much as my brothers? There it is, says her dad. Three years and three minutes. It only from time to time appeared that I didn't. What sort of answer is that? Long pause, Kevin Costner says to Jessica Chastin. You tripped over a stick. You tripped over a stick, okay? 10 years ago, you tripped over a stick. It was a one in a million thing. You tripped over a stick. That's what you did wrong. There's your session. Three years in three minutes. It's amazing how much faster you can go when you're not charting by the hour. (laughs) I'm your father. Trying to comprehend comprehend how much I love you would be like trying to visualise the size of the universe. Lot sees through financial gain An ability to get what he's looking for and what we're all longing for. He wants to go back to the garden. He wants to go back to the garden. We all have this deep spiritual insecurity. We don't know what we're worth. We don't know how much we're loved. We don't know how much God in Christ approves of us. And so we go a bunch of different ways to look for that approval and longing and acceptance. It can be work. It can be relationships. It can be career. It can be family. It can be friends. It can be addiction in a whole bunch of different ways. But verse 10 is a fascinating verse. It's a fascinating description that tells you what's going on in Lot's heart. He looked at it and he thought it was like the garden of the Lord. Because that's when we once knew who we were. And all of us are trying to get back into the garden. If I had that, if I was married to him, if I was married to her, if this career had gone differently, if this relationship had gone differently, if my kids had behaved in this way, all my life would have been different. And through a host of different things, we're all trying to get back to the garden. He doesn't just want to get rich. That's the point. Lot says, Abraham, you sort yourself out. I'm going down there. Because he set his heart not on riches, but on what riches would give him. That's why there's quarreling, verse 7 and 8. They're frustrated. They're irritated. They're competing. And here's what's so challenging. This is not just about Lot. This is about you and me. We all do it in different ways. We all do it in different ways. We want to get back to the garden of the Lord, but we want to get back to the garden of the Lord without the Lord. That's the deep irony. We think we can get uh, acceptance and approval and love and satisfaction and joy and contentment away from God, and we can't, says the Bible. That's Lot, and that's the garden. Here's Abraham and the foundation. Abraham and the foundation. This second character, Abraham, is just so different. Completely different motivations that are revealed through his actions. He's, he's a bit of a hero, but then we see that he's actually got feet of clay. Remember the time in which we're living. It's a patriarchal society. The eldest had everything. The eldest had first dibs. The eldest had first choice. And this huge family, this huge wealth was being accrued. So the next chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 14, tells us that Abraham wasn't just a, a sort of household that we would understand, a nuclear family. He was in charge of hundreds of fighting men huge uh, organizational structure. He was a great man over a great household, more like a tribal leader rather than just a person with a, a roof over their heads or some canvas over his heads with a few cattle. He was a great, great man. And the decision he made seems to make no sense at all. I'll go second, you go first. I'll put all my rights to the side and you can, you can choose where you want to go. But actually, it's a very wise decision. Did you notice verse 7? There's a strange little reference in verse 7 to the the Canaanites and the Perizzites. They're mentioned. And we'll find out later on what what happens as we get into warfare in the next chapter. But Abraham is smart enough to realise that if Lot and he get estranged, if they they go to war themselves, then they become very, very vulnerable to uh, would-be attackers and foes. They're surrounded by hostile tribes, so they need to keep together. They need to keep on good terms. That's part, I think, of uh, the reasoning behind this decision. But the second thing is what he says. You go first, I'll go second. It's so countercultural. Age matters. Uh, Rights matter. And he gives them all up, Abraham, to trust God. I'll take God at his word that he will provide for me. You choose You go and choose the green pastures. You go and choose what looks like the the garden of the Lord, that wonderful valley. But I will take God at his word. Where did he get this sort of wisdom? The book of Hebrews tells us where. Hebrews 11.8 says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and he went. A bit later on, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Being a Christian, Abraham is teaching us, a Christian is someone like Abraham who's changed their foundations. you've changed what you're basing your life upon. You're changing the point of stability. You're changing what uh, is solid in your heart and under your feet, mixing my metaphors. And everyone has something that you will live and you would die for. There's a relationship, there's an event, there's an activity that's so precious to you, it keeps you up at night. You do lose sleep over this thing. And if you lost that thing, that person, that relationship, that activity, that value value or that valuable entity, you would say, that's it, I've got no meaning. Life is up, without that, without you, my life is not worth living. It could be family, it could be career, It could be comfort. It could be money like Lot, this ambitious man. And the call of God on Abraham's life, on every Christian's life, is not just that you need to change your behaviour. It's not just external. It's an internal reworking of your foundation of your heart. And the call of God is saying, change your foundations. Don't live for yourself anymore. See through the lies of the culture. Engage with culture. Think carefully. Be a thinking person. But make my righteousness your wealth. Make my salvation your joy. Make my uh, purpose your life's goal and mission. You're thinking far too small. You're too far too easily pleased, said C.S. Lewis. And that's what's behind this decision from Abraham. The foundation of his life had changed. He wasn't living for money or family anymore. He was living for God. What a hero. Or not quite. Because if you look back to chapter 12, you see a very shady uh, episode in the life of Abraham. Did you notice that as we read from verse 10 down to verse 20 of chapter 12? Down to uh, Egypt they go and he wants to save his bacon. Well, not as a Jewish person, but he wanted to save his skin. And so he says, she's not my wife. You cannot say that anymore. You would need to say that you're my sister. She's not really my wife. A very shady episode in the story of Abraham. And the sad news is it, it happens almost word for word once again. But look at verse 3. There's something very interesting that happens in chapter 13, verse 3. All to do with the geography that you can see on the map uh, over my shoulder. Verse 13 From the Negev, Abraham went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place where, between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, where he'd first built an altar. Now here on this map that you can see shortly, you can see the journey that is made from Ur of the Chaldeans up to Haran and uh, through to Egypt. But what happens after this uh, train wreck of an episode in the life of Abraham is that he returns with all his entourage to the place where he built an altar and called on the name of the Lord. This very shady episode happens down in Egypt, and then Abraham returns. And the question is so subtle that we can miss it in verse 3 and 4 is, what is he up to? Why does he go back? It's thoroughly inconvenient to organise. So there must be something very significant. And I think, friends, what he's doing is a journey of repentance. It's so subtle, you can always miss it. The call of God comes, this awful episode at the end of chapter 12. And then we can just skip over and see what Lot and Abraham are doing with ambition but at the start of chapter 13 is something very key, and that is a journey of repentance that Abraham makes from Egypt back to this uh, uh, place between Bethel and Ai that's quite hard to locate in the modern world. But it's a real place. And Abraham teaches us much against, again about the call of God. You are a Christian if you've received the call of God. But Abraham now says to us, a Christian is also someone who's defined by. How you handle your personal failures. A Christian is someone who's defined by how you handle your personal failures. What do I mean? If you've done something in your past and you say, I I can never forgive myself. I wish I'd done that differently. That conversation where a plate was thrown, that conversation where a door was slammed, and maybe a, a fist punch was thrown. Whatever it was, harsh word, unkind, door slamming, broken relationship, mistake, that kind of stuff. If you knew what happened in my life, I just can't forgive myself. A Christian is someone who can call upon the grace of God to forgive themselves. That's the difference. And that's what Abraham is teaching us. He went back. He took God out his word and he left. He was uh, successful for such a short amount of time, trusting God. And then it was a train wreck at the end of chapter 12. And then he returned And called upon the name of the Lord. And that's shorthand for repentance and godly worship in the book of Genesis. Look at, uh, I mean, and the question is, how does God do this? I mean, we're right at the start of the journey with Abraham. And how does God do this? I mean, how much credit is there in God's bank to forgive Abraham? Look down to verse 14. The Lord said to Abraham after Lot had parted from him. Lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and to the south and look to the east and to the west. All the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. Remember this place between Bethel and Ai? High place that you can see for 20 miles and the the valley goes down. It's almost as if God has taken him up to a mountain and says look. Remember the promise I made to you in chapter 12 verses 1 to 3 that I'm going to explain throughout your life? All that you can see, I will give to you. Look to the north, south, look to the east and to the west. I'll give it all because of your faith in the son that undergirds all the promises of God. It's a lot in the garden. It's Abraham and a changed foundation and it's Jesus and it's you. What do I mean? Abraham is a remarkable man with feet of clay. And yet his greatest son, The Lord Jesus Christ was also taken up a mountain by God on which he died. But he was also taken up on a mountaintop, so to speak, by somebody else in Luke chapter 4, by the devil, who said to Jesus Christ, all that you can see, I'll give to you. Just bow down and worship me. That's the great temptation that Jesus faced in his humanity. You don't have to go to the cross. Just take my word, says the devil. And the irony, again, is here's the odd thing. What Jesus was being offered by Satan was all his by rights anyway. It was a hollow promise that Satan made. This great temptation that Jesus faced, there is a shorthand way to glory beyond the cross and beside the cross without going to the cross. And yet here is Abraham and God takes him up and says to a high point, all of this I will give to you and you don't deserve it. You've not earned it. Do you see? Abraham points to Jesus, because Jesus, two Corinthians eight says, "Jesus, although he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich." That's the gospel. Everything that was Christ is now ours by faith. You're not going to fight anxiety just by a. determination. You're not going to do it by uh, just going to see a counsellor as good and as helpful as they might be. You're not going to see through the lie of money, like Lot couldn't see through the lie of money, unless you see the one to whom Abraham pointed. Then you can be generous with money because you see it for what it is. You can deal with your failures because you see the grace of God that you receive forgiveness and that you've been approved through Jesus Christ and in him alone. I mean, do you have problems dealing with your own failure? Do you have regret and shame? There's too much to bear. If you knew it, I'd run out, that kind of stuff. You need to change your foundations to the grace of God. You're quarreling with people. You just want to get your own way. I just want to show them. I want them to respect me and they're not. You need to change your foundation to the grace of God. you having trouble keeping just going on and enduring. I'm fed up with 2020. It's stank. I'm fed up with 2021. It's no, not any better. You need to change your foundation to the grace of God. You need to lift up your eyes and see all that God has given us in Christ.